You're listening to Lost in the Groove, a podcast that talks about life, what's going on in the world, and what we can do better, and how we can make a change. Let's go on with the intro music and start today's topic. Hello, and welcome to Lost in the Groove. Uh, today, you got your two hosts. My name's David. Uh, that's Mike over there. We're going to be talking today about the race war. Uh, kind of getting this topic started. We're going to kind of go through some steps, kind of breaking it down, kind of getting a little bit in depth and uh, seeing where this takes us. All right. So for starters, most importantly, you have to understand, understanding the problem is key. So... The mistake that many think when the topic of race war is this idea of slaves in the U.S. and the way Native Americans have been treated also in the U.S. You know, that's probably um, that's probably where people would reflect to, you know, when they think of uh, the problem, where it all stemmed from uh, with the with so much history behind it. You know, people are, for the most part, aware uh, of the things that had occurred over the centuries. Right. The thing is, you know, going deeper into this, there has always been this problem, right, of a majority and minority, correct? Right. Right. So it's not really about race, but more of who has... Who has the upper hand? Like, who is the one that's in control? Is it the little guy? Is it like the little group of people? Or it's usually the major group of people that make up majority of the people, like of, of a country, period. That's kind of a funny, you know, funny thing about it is uh, the minority are the ones who pull the strings, um, control the narratives. You know, the majority are the rest of us. They seem to think that we're uh, all racist, but um, how can that be true when most of us originate from somewhere around the world? Right. Yeah, I know. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, who's controlling that narrative? Yeah. And most importantly, you know, like you were saying, it, it's finding that common ground. Right. You know, you said earlier where you want to separate the historical issues and understanding this case of in society with majority and minority right where you know you said this earlier like with history you know we we understand that there was this problem native americans this whole thing with slaves but it's not the same thing you know what i mean right you you fast forward to present day there it's the definition has changed uh quite drastically uh, right. it's good that we it's good that we don't have slaves anymore right but, you know, what is, you know, what is the definition of racism today? Right. But also the thing is that people have to differentiate the thing with slaves, right? Where it, it's not the fact that they were people from Africa and all those other countries. It's the fact that, you know, I said this earlier with the majority and the minority. The majority had the ability to go into these countries and enslave their people and then ship them throughout, the, you know, throughout the the world as well as the United States because they had that power. So that's the point. 
you know, is you're saying like, especially today, racism has changed completely, but finding that ground of where you put the wall or kind of the, the sheet that separates the two issues, because they're not the same. They both cause the same problem, but they're not the same. Right. Today's problems are far different than then. Exactly. So, you know, now we're understanding this problem, right, where it's two separate ideas, especially at different periods of history now and then. So how can we address the matter? Well, so the best way of understanding this is in history. Look at the civil rights movement. The movement had nothing to do with race or color but the right to be treated equally, no matter your race or color or sex. So looking at the matter at hand, you understand the difference. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, that, that movement um, was so powerful for, mm-hmm. the, uh, for the time in which it occurred. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting that um, you fast forward a few decades and, um, uh, and we ha- we're seeing, you know, we're seeing similar things similar problems right um permeate through our society Uh, Mm -hmm. and again i ask you know who's pushing the narrative i don't you know i don't believe racism disappeared but i also don't believe it's as bad and um and so uh as powerful as it once was it does exist right but look at for example Look at 1959. Okay, so we're going back. <clears throat> we're going back in time. <clears throat> the the civil rights started during Jim Crow. Jim Crow. A lot of if a lot of people don't realize, Jim Crow started around 1953. It was racial protest in the South that was attacking, especially Black Americans that lived in the South um, against their rights as being in this country to begin with and the right of freedom. But in 1959, you see something very interesting where you have all these radical, you know, protests, you know, you, you see and you're seeing all of these papers. But did, the, did these protests happen in Los Angeles? Did they happen in San Francisco? Did they happen in Chicago? Did they happen in, in St. Louis, Missouri? Did they happen in New York City? No, they only took place in a specific area. Yes, there's racism in other places against black Americans, but the prominence of these protests took place where? In the South. It the didn't South. take place anywhere else. So thinking about this, right, the media today likes to blow things up. But if you look throughout history, especially the, with these matters, they were blown up but they were in a specific place. Not everybody was affected by this. There's a difference. Right. Much like, uh, much like today, you know, it's different, but, uh, you know, a lot of the tools being used um, to kind of portray that, that, you know, they're still out there in greater numbers and, um, and it's all over the country. Uh, Right. It's it's just, it's insane uh, that really, if anybody really believes such a thing, I mean, there's no way uh, we would have survived as long as we have without a civil war after all these decades. Right. Um, if it were that bad. So, you know, we, we kind of keep on going about this. And the thing is, is how this has affected society as a whole. Because 
all these, you know, the race war more specifically affects specific groups of people. It doesn't necessarily affect everyone, right? That's how we're, that's what we're told. But the unfortunate side effect of misinformation is this idea that everything that is discriminating always comes back to race, which is a wrong way of thinking. It's taking things that have an opposite effect on each other and turning them against one another. So this idea of where it's always on like one specific thing, right? It, it's never about anything else. It, it's always about that one specific thing. It's never on both sides. Yeah, I mean, in, uh, in today's world, you know, even the simplest of words are found to be racist um, when they're just commonly used. It's, uh, it's really difficult to, to kind of understand that, uh, you know, words are not fatal, number one. Right. And to try to teach that to people, to say that everyone who uses any one of these words or terms or, or ideas become a racist all of a sudden, I think uh, would, I mean, it virtually would make all of us that. Right. You know, under that definition, we'd all be racist. Yeah. Um, when, when, exactly. when we don't. Yeah. When we don't take into account, you know, context of how something might be used. Um, at the end of the day, they're just words. Right. Uh, and trying to, you know, I feel like it's a lot of censorship, too. So it's definitely plays a role in it. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're here because. We can agree to disagree Right. We can have different ideas. Of course. We, we, we love our country for this exact reason. Right. To be able to speak our mind. Um, and of course, just like how the saying goes is that I don't agree with you, but I'll defend the right for you to say it. Right. Because both correct, because both sides, as much as you know, I have nothing against white Americans or Caucasian Americans, you know, European Americans. Up Scandinavian Americans, whatever you want to call it, that you know stand up for you know minority groups like the you know the the Black American community, the Latin community, the you know many other different types of communities here in the U.S. But they are different, right? They're white Americans, and they grew up in a society of where they are well more resort accepted into society, whatever the case may be. But that's generally how it is in this country, depending on where you are. But that's usually authorities don't always have these abilities for a lot of very various reasons. One, they could possibly be illegal immigrants. It's possible they don't know the language. It's possible that they've had generations that have been living in this country and they've been living a specific way. So that's how they've been raising their children. But at the end of the day, there is that indifference. But understanding that there is a difference, like I was saying earlier, that the different sides, you have to look at both sides and realize that, no one is right and no one is wrong. But the second someone says that they are right or someone says that they're wrong, you automatically fail because that's not the way society works. It's not how life works. You understand there's a difference, but you learn to take that indifference and find common grounds. Right. Hey, what well, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Exactly. And, um, and, but, to, uh, but to silence everyone. And to to uh, to label everyone. I mean, that's uh, I've heard it from some people 
for uh, immigrants from communist countries. I won't I won't name the country, but you know, in their opinion, these types of things that are occurring here are very similar to what they experienced. Communist Russia, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, they experienced the very same thing from the countries they originate from. Why do you think they came here? Right. You know, for some of these people, they're seeing what's going on and they're saying this is, um, you know, this is a precursor um, and this is not the road we should be going down, no. whether it's uh, whether it's how we view each other or how we treat each other or how we're educating our kids to or be what the education or what or the, the education, education system. system. Yeah. Yeah. Like what what that's going to be providing. Um, it's um, it's not a, it's not an easy topic. Uh, no. There, it's, you know, yeah, to, call the, it, to call the, it a war is kind of extreme, but uh, maybe it's more of a morality thing. You know, people. So, you know, this is the thing also with the whole thing with teachers and listening listeners right throughout history. You have had this thing where it's written that the majority is written and taught about the minority and vice versa. The minority has taught about the majority. Most people, if you really think about this for a second. Look at all the wars that we've had in the past hundred years or so. Okay, let's look at World War One, for example. World War One was a war against majority and minority. Look very carefully. How did the well, the war started because of someone got killed? That's not the part I'm talking about. I'm talking about the part where France and Germany were fighting both sides. They were fighting over a little strip of land. Now, more specifically, that strip of land was agriculture. Right. So majority of people that were working there are minorities. They're farmers. They don't really have that much money. They're poor. But you have two majority sides. You've got Germany and you've got France that are fighting over that border because one side will lose profits over the other. That's what a war is. A war is where you have two indifferences, two completely different types of people that they understand what the common ground is, but they make the choice. Are we going to make peace and agree that we have these indifferences, but that's okay and we can work with it, or they're going to make a war? That's what the race war is, right? The race war is you have two grounds, you have two indifferences, two different types of people that don't want to come to common grounds because I'm sorry to be blunt right now. You've got white supremacists like the KKK. You've got neo-Nazis out in Oklahoma that to them – People that are Jewish or people that are black or people that are Latino deserve to burn in hell and be killed. Why? Because they're taught that way. Is it right? No. And if you actually think about it, murdering somebody because of the melanin that, are in the, that is in their skin makes absolutely no sense. But to them, it makes sense. Yeah, so, it's asinine. Exactly. So finding that balance, understanding that you have your indifference, that's okay. You have your indifference. That's okay. But don't attack me because of my indifference. That's what it means by saying a war. Sorry, I was like rambling for God knows how long. <laughs> rambling is okay. It's a podcast. You're, yeah, I know. You're allowed to do that, Dave. But at the end, you know, at the end of the day, as we kind of reflect on like what is occurring the differences between the two. Um, what does it mean for people? I think um, I think average people from major cities to small towns across the nation um, are are I want to say tolerant. They're not intolerant. 
there's there's they would make up the majority right you know um but for the sake of this specific topic it's important to understand as you outlined in the beginning you know understanding the problem which is you know understanding what we used to know or what we used to identify um this uh this race war with to what it's become um how to address it of course right uh, it's it, it's really important for listeners to um to keep an open mind it's right. uh, it's, it's very easy to be you know kind of stuck in whatever it is your belief system is right and that's okay you know the thing is that again we're just spectators right we're not people here that's saying oh this is what we say is fact and that's end of story no this is our view and our take on the situation you know and it should be yeah exactly it should be elastic it should you know that's um in the sense of where we have the freedoms to change our our outlook, our views, or our opinions, it's um, that that is much more balanced uh, and and fair. I would say. Yeah, it is. But you know, you look at <clears throat> again. I, this is my own personal opinion. You know, if you're a huge fan of media outlets, that's great. Look at Fox News. You know, I'm a libertarian, so I, I do have a conservative outlook as well as a liberal outlook on a lot of things. But I do come from a very libertarian uh, perspective where you have all of these newscasters on Fox. Now, I'm not putting them any of them down, but there are plenty of them that are not 100 percent conservative. Plenty that has still maybe have some libertarian or maybe liberal outlooks or a completely different perspective in regards to politics, whatever the case may be. But they all talk and teach and give over news like conservatives. And uh, I say it, it just depends on how big their paycheck is. They'll say whatever. They'll oh my whatever. god. I know say whatever it takes to make that money. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these media personalities make a lot of money. People of course don't, they do. They don't people don't realize that we're talking north of seven to eight figures sometimes, depending mm-hmm. on how much people like listening or watching you. Um it's a uh, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, it's very dangerous for people to continue to lean on any one of those stations for information. You know, the truest information, I think, is coming from uh, alternative media. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of sources. That's not, not to say that it's a uh, fact or fiction, but more so the, the truest and the purest forms of ideas that uh, are getting out there for people to um, to at least reflect on. Um, and that's probably the, the, the single most uh, amazing thing that has occurred the last decade or so is yeah. the free publication and the freedom to share information for, wherever, for, yeah, wherever for, you for, are for, for as long as they may allow that, because we are experiencing incredible censorship present day. Um, if it hasn't happened to you yet, doesn't mean it won't. Yeah, I know. But the, um, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> it's so funny because if you think about this, look at, and again, past has not been perfect. I'm sorry. It hasn't. There's been a lot of problems. You know, we've 
gone very far ahead as a society, but we still have a lot of things to still work on. But look at the old days, you know, especially I think with CBS or NBC that had a news anchor who was considered like the most honest man. And I remember <clears throat> my grandfather was talking about him. I finally like watched certain clips from him. And it's so odd because you're watching a news anchor. And I remember this guy was on the news about 50, 60 years ago. Um, I think he went off in like the late seventies. I don't remember. So it's about 40, 50 years ago. And he gave over news. Like it's, not supposed to because we're trained that we're hearing news a certain way. You know, it was very honest. It was very clear. Like, you know, when he said that there was a storm coming, you know, a certain place or something happened, it was very clear and very specific that there was a storm that happened here. This is what happened. Nothing else happened. And the story very clear. You understood the message, but you're right. The point is today. It's not anymore about people need to hear news. That's the reality of life. People need to hear and be educated because we are a society that likes to be educated. It's become of, all right, well, she can make $10 million a year and he can make $5 million a year. And if we keep on, you know, blowing up the news, she could potentially make $20 million a year and he can make $15 million a year. So it's not anymore about what the people want to hear. It's about how much money they can make. And you're right. And it's unfortunate, but this is the media and this is what they teach us. And that's probably where, you know, some of the, uh, some of this um, or these aspects of this issue really come up is, uh, you know, they're the perpetrators, you say, who is the majority and who's the minority. You know, if you look at present day, as I mentioned earlier, racism and elements of the race war probably still exist. They're just not as fierce of a problem as they may have been, you know, 50 years ago. It's just being portrayed that way. Right. Through, uh, through the media. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, it just, the you know, the country wouldn't work. There's no way that commerce would necessarily continue the way it does if there was such a hatred or war between uh, or amongst all of us in that uh, in that regard. It's just um, it's crazy. Um, but they are they are the gatekeepers of information and it's uh, it blows my mind, though. There's a lot of people um, no longer tuning in to some of these uh, outlets, but there's still yeah, but there's still a lot <laughs> that do, and uh, very very intelligent people I talk to every day. Um, you I know, remember they still, they still but, follow this a lot of this a lot of this bullshit. They still it's, follow it's, it. It's, they had um, I remember when they had the whole thing with George Floyd. I think this was back in August of last year. PBS, they had a uh, psychologist that came in as well as a doctor and someone else. I remember exactly who they were. And they came in down and they, they did this also with COVID. They had doctors that came in. I, they do these special publications so people have information on this. Uh, PBS is not perfect. It's government run. But the nice thing about PBS is it's privately run. So each station is specifically run by private uh, private people that run the stations, they take care of all the equipment and hire people. So when they were talking about this, they had a whole different view on the whole George Floyd thing. They were saying that he was he was being incarcerated to the point where the cop was actually hurting him because of, you know, a problem with how police have been dealing with situations for the past 25 years on how minorities have been dealt with 
dealt with in major cities and how things need to be changed. A whole different way of looking at this, a whole different way of saying, hey, it's not just about a police killing killing somebody because they're a minority. It's because of all of these other things. You need to understand this, understand the history of how these things happen. That's the thing also about this whole race war is it's terrible that police officers are doing things like this. Not every police officer is like this, and not every city is like this. It happens to be that in certain cities, I grew up in New York, New York police officers in this city, I live about 40 minutes away, they're trained for many years to be brutal towards minorities because there have been attacks and different things. Not saying it's anybody's fault, but it's New York City. But, you know, you can't keep the same mentality for 25 years, right? I mean, am I wrong? It uh, definitely is a problem, I think, within... Um... Give me Who are you going to call Ghostbusters? Yeah, there's definitely a problem with education among law enforcement. It's, uh, it is a problem. I personally can understand. Uh, I try to put myself in, in the shoes of both um, an individual who's, um, uh, let's say, in a situation like George Floyd, and then put myself in the shoes of an officer who's constantly um, just in a, in a lot of ways, though it's neighborhoods or it's where we live, it's like a war zone. We really don't know um, what, what goes on in these streets. So as an officer, when you're getting out there, that, that day could be your last day. You really don't know. Um, when, right. you, when you pull, when you pull somebody over or what, whatever you're doing, I can say this just being in Los Angeles, a lot of shit happens here. Uh, somebody died, you know, down the street from me like a week ago, uh, which is broad daylight, 3 PM shot at a gas station. Um, you just, you don't know that's, you know, that's why, um, it's a difficult job depending on, you know, where they're operating, but on the flip side, you know, as, uh, uh, if you're, on the, you know, in the shoes of George Floyd, let's say, uh, it's unjust. It's, it's not right, especially when someone is detained already. That's yeah. excessive force. And, um, you know, an officer like that shouldn't necessarily represent the entire department. No. But no. I do see it that it's an education problem. Mm-hmm. Like if, if officers are overworked, if they need time off, if they need counseling, whatever it may be, you know, they should be able to seek that out without right. losing their job or whatever. Um, it's not an easy job, no. uh, nor, nor is it easy to walk down, you know, your neighborhood and then kind of be singled out for one reason or another. 